This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello, and we are back. After a short New Year's hibernation, we come to you with episode 16 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the big six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. And what a new year it has been. Since our last episode, we have had a huge amount of games, a huge amount of goals and some glorious upsets along the way. Newcastle have maintained pace and are firmly in contention for a Champions League spot, while Fulham, Brighton and Brentford all feature in the top eight after a strong run of results continuing where they left off in 2022. We've also got cup upsets and transfers to talk about this week. As always, we are joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Tom, we have had a massive amount of football. Sorry. Tom, we have a massive amount of football to talk about, so I'm going to go straight into it by asking you some quick-fire questions just so we can get a bit of a, a grasp of the landscape of everything that's going it everything that's go- sorry everything that's going on in terms of the other 14 so lightning round let's do it question 1 will newcastle finish in the top 4 this season yes who of the current bottom 3 teams is definitely getting relegated southampton will a member of the other 14 win the league cup yes how many players will Forrest sign in this January transfer window? A gazillion. How many zeros is on that? Uh, too many to count. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the better result? Brentford beating Liverpool 3-1 or Brighton beating Liverpool 3-0? Why'd you have to stick that one in there? I mean, that there's like literally choosing out, like picking which eyeball to pull out of my own sockets. Um, but... If I had to look at it from a neutral perspective, which being on this podcast, I have to, um, I would probably go for the Brentford result just on the case that I, none of them were shocks, but I think the Brentford result was the more surprising. Yeah, I'd have to say by the time it came round to Brighton-Liverpool, that then wasn't an upset just based on how Liverpool had been playing and obviously how good Brighton have been. Um, like off pod, we you know we we met up recently, and I I said um you know what I predicted to be the the result of the Brighton Liverpool game, and I just said straight away Liverpool loss. I you know oh, I, I it's immediately one hundred percent. So um yeah, we all I, doubted you, but we went with it, and um well it somewhat it paid off. off. It was it was accurate. Um well, okay, it didn't so pay off, but yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we'll quickly go back to them. So um Newcastle top four, they're playing unbelievably I, well. There's no they? one else at the moment who I can see knocking on that door. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Tottenham aren't good enough. Chelsea aren't good enough. Liverpool aren't good enough. And they're they keep looking, stumbling. Yeah, so... and they're looking at the other teams around them in the table from the other 14. It's quite an ask to turn around and say to Fulham, one year into they get promoted and then that year they get a Champions League spot. Um and also, we've got a, a bit of a points gap at that point. So Newcastle yeah. are currently in fourth, sitting on 38 points. Uh, Fulham have played a game more and sitting on 31 points. And then Brighton and Brentford still have quite a bit of a gap. 
I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's unlike. I will throw it back to you because I think this will probably be a question that's probably on the lips of most of our listeners. Do we now consider Newcastle to be in the title race? Um, Considering what the points total is right now and in comparison to what United and City are at. My one thing about Newcastle is that like absolutely would love it. Um, I think this season, and this is me just thinking anecdotally rather than anything, I don't think they necessarily win the games against the big sides. I know they've got a lot of draws against, like, sorry, against the so-called big six. Newcastle haven't got a huge amount of wins. I think they've got a fair few draws from them. Yeah. While they're absolutely lethal at like absolutely demolishing the other 14. And I think that comes into play when you're trying to compete at their level. It comes to then the head-to-head games of who is in the top three, top four, top yeah. five, and whether you're beating them. And um, Newcastle drew with City, didn't they? They drew with yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, banging I- game. I think they drew with Arsenal as well. So I just think it's those sorts of games that to be a title contender, you do need to end up winning. Um, yep. And also Newcastle at the moment, obviously we're in a transfer window. Things could change. They've got a very solid goalkeeper and back four and who have been playing most weeks game in, game out. And I just wonder what happens if one of them gets injured. Yeah. Yeah, and whether that throws it off a little bit. Otherwise, would absolutely love it. It'd be shocking. Uh, but looking at it now, as of recording, they've played one game more than Arsenal and are currently sitting nine points behind them. So, but they have only lost. Well, this is the thing. Looking at the table, Newcastle have lost the same amount of games as Arsenal, with a league low of one. They've both only lost one game, but Newcastle have drawn eight games. While Newcastle Arsenal have only drawn two. And I think yeah. that is the difference right now is that there's quite a lot of draws to be a title a title winner. Because yeah, even... Arsenal don't seem to be dropping a lot of points right now. Newcastle every now and again will will have a draw. So mm. I, but... I just I just think as, as you know, the fact that we'd consider City to be in the title race because otherwise the title race is done at this point of the season. They're on the same amount of points, well, minus one uh, in terms of points um tallied at this stage of the season, even though they have played one game more. I just think, you know, it's not... I'm not saying that they will do it, but I think it would be harsh to not call them oh, in exactly. the title race. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. I think everyone else is writing them off, listening to Gary Neville after the Man U um, City game at the at the weekend. He was turning around saying how Man U are in the title race and they're going to finish second. Man City will come top of the league and Arsenal won't win it. Well, I'm sorry, if you're considering Man U, who are currently one point above Newcastle, then you've yeah. got to consider Newcastle. This is it. That's that's exactly my point. Like, mm. you have to consider Newcastle to be in it because they're literally just one point behind. Yeah, they are one point behind third spot and second spot. So, yeah. you know what, I think... But it will come just down to those games against the teams around them and whether yeah. they can turn them from one point into three. Exactly. Um, okay, you have then also declared that Southampton are getting relegated. Uh, we're going to talk a, a bit later about... Uh, teams in the relegation zone um why Southampton over any of the others just a quick one I just don't see it I, I don't see goals in that side they rely at the moment too heavily on James Ward-Prowse to either crop up with a free kick goal every now and again I just I just don't think it's been enough. like Nathan Jones has come in yes he's 
kept them going through the cups. They are now in a, a League Cup semi final, and you know, absolutely phenomenal absolutely. result against Man City as well. Yeah, absolutely. The hats off to the result against City. I mean, I was I was watching, well, I wasn't watching the game, but I was um, knew that it started about half an hour and just quickly checked my phone and just expecting to see two 0 City, and I saw two 0 but then it was like, oh, it's 2-0 Southampton. So that's taken me a little bit by surprise. So the, they've had um, a little bit of run in the Cups. They're still in the, the, F, the draw for the FA Cup, as we speak, and then got a semi-final to look forward to against Newcastle. Yeah. But Which that form hasn't necessarily no. trans- or sort of shown itself well, in the Premier League. They've only just... Well, Nathan Jones only has his first win as of last weekend. And um, it was against a poor Everton. Looking at the teams, yeah. looking at the games they have had as well, um, since he's been in, well, since Christmas, lost to Brighton, lost to Fulham, lost to Forest, lost to, uh, then lost, uh, sorry, then they had FA Cup game where they beat pa- uh, Palace and they had then beaten uh, Man City as well in the EFL Cup, but then that yeah. lost to Everton. So it's, uh, sorry, and, and then that win against Everton, which is obviously yeah. a glimmer of hope for yeah. Southampton the, fans. Yeah, it's just the thing I I would say with we've had a couple of new managers sort of coming into the Premier League over the last sort of couple of weeks and, and months. You know, you've seen Emery come into Villa, you've seen Lopetegui come into Wolves. Has it been another? Or obviously, you know, you've seen Cooper with his extended contract at Forest, and how those players are now starting to gel a little bit together, and that that style of play is starting to develop and sort of gel quite nicely. You're not seeing that at Southampton, I find. No, no. But I think that is one of the things we've said from the start of the season is that they've had one of the weaker squads, haven't they? Yeah, and it's just a case of. They bought in a lot of youth into the summer, and it's just whether that can convert into like convert into more points over time. But it's going to be a tough job for Nathan Jones. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, uh, but to be honest, all of those in, in the bottom sort of it could have been any of that. Uh, oh, bottom three right now, yeah, they're, they're, they're all, all very bad awful. right now. Oh, absolutely shocking, aren't they? Um, okay, um, and then will a member of the other fourteen win the League Cup? So Southampton are playing Newcastle in one semi-final and then Nottingham Forest have the challenge of playing Man U over two legs. Um, and you think one of those three teams from the other 14 are going to go through? Do you think it'll, Do you think Forest will be uh, able to overcome Man U over two legs? Or do you think it'll be a case of um, Southampton or Newcastle having to do the job in one game at Wembley? I think it'll be Newcastle. Um, you think they're going to win a trophy straight away? Yep, 100%. I, I just think for Newcastle, you know, I know what we've already sort of discussed about sort of like the title race. And I I think we've both sort of come up to the sort of answer that it's not going to be realistic for them. In terms of other trophies, Newcastle haven't won a trophy since 1955. And the way they're playing right now, hang on, and the opposition that they have. I, no disrespect to Southampton at all, but this is a perfect opportunity for Newcastle to get into a final at Wembley. And if they, the likelihood is that, you know, again, sorry, Forest fans, if they come up against United in the final, this will probably be completely different come the time of um, the end of the second legs of this this uh, League Cup semi-final. But if on paper it looks like it might be a United-Newcastle final, you do fancy Newcastle to actually get something out of that game. 
But um, that's all hypothetical. I I would say Newcastle. I just think it's very unfair that you aren't recognising Newcastle's 2006 UEFA Intertoto Cup victory. Um, do you count your Intertoto Cup victory as well? Do I count West Ham's Intertoto Cup victory? At a time where West Ham were uh, had an awesome squad and failed to deliver. Um, yes, I oh, am sounds counting. like England. <laughs> I, I, am, I am counting West Ham's Intertoto Cup. I will claim any kind of silverware. Um uh, but I won't go and include uh, Newcastle's Intercities Fairs Cup from 1969. That that to me doesn't count. They, they had a they had a couple of final um, appearances, I think, in the 90s. Yeah, so but in it's the been 90s, very slim pickings. For so they Newcastle. made back to back FA Cup finals um, in 98 and 99, and then they were also made the League Cup um, final in 97. Oh, they got they made three cup finals in three sequential years and didn't. Sounds like Chelsea. Oh, that's rotten. <laughs> that's rotten for them. Okay, yeah, so... I mean, it, it's been like sixty plus years. No, it's a, it's been a long time for them. And to be honest, yeah. oh, let's uh, let's hope that they do. Although at the same time, I would prefer perhaps either Forest or Southampton. It, I think one hundred percent. Purely on the ground, it, it, it does send a bit like as much as every team is guilty to an extent. And I know that we're normally very critical of the uh, of the top. Uh, sorry, of the Book Six that do this, but it would be a case of Newcastle getting new owners, spend a lot of money, and then win a trophy straight away. And it feels like they have kind of bought it. Um, but hey, we'll see how uh, we'll see how it goes. And to be honest, the Newcastle fans deserve it because I don't. They've gone through a rotten time with awful owners and awful managers. Um, so let's hope that they, uh, if anything, just to take a trophy away from the Big Six. Um, do you see any possibility that the other two? Um, out the other fourteen, make it to the to the final. Do do Forest upset United? The only the thing is, in a final, I don't see Forest beating Newcastle, but over two legs, I could see Forest beating Man U, just purely on that. It's still very Man U to banana skin it, and everyone's yeah. expecting them to be favourites and them to go through. And which everyone... way round is it? Is it? City ground first, then after Old Trafford. It's at the city ground first, and then the following week it's at Old Trafford. So I don't yeah. know. It's just whether if Forest get like a one nil win, mm. and then United are chasing the game at Old Trafford. Yeah, Forest can sit deep, but Forest are very good yeah. at conceding goals. Yeah. Um, but saying that, I went to the quarter final for uh, Cholton when they went to Old Trafford, and. Charlton did a very good job of sitting back and defending for a lot of the game. And it was 3-0, which I think was a bit of a flattering scoreline. Um, but Man U weren't all that, I'll be honest. They, they, if The only reason it became 3-0 was when they were forced to bring on their big guns. They couldn't even, like, they weren't easily beating League One Charlton. And there were opportunities at the back. So mm. two legs, you never know. Um, and Southampton, I don't know, they seem to be on a good cup run uh, with League Cup and FA Cup victories recently. Maybe yeah. maybe that's for them. Um, okay, and speaking of Forest, so transfers, I think they've already made a couple this January, but I'm not sure. Uh... They have bought in... Oh, no, I've got it here. They have bought in recently uh, Danilo from Palmeiras. Yeah, which uh, is quite... Fee. That was quite a coup, actually. Oh, I thought it was 20 million is the figure I've seen. Uh, 20 oh, million euros, so... Okay. Um, um, and then uh, they've I also signed quite... someone else from Palmeiras, so... Gustavo Scarpa. 
Yeah, I've got no idea about him. Uh, no idea about him. Danilo looks quite a... There's a lot of talk about him, but he's only a lot 21. Play, I think a player with a lot of pedigree. You said it, literally he's only 21, but he has like well over 140 appearances in his senior career so far. And he made the team of the year in the Brazilian Serie A last year. But so is that is the same way he's look. got 140 appearances, the same way Pele scored 5 billion goals while playing in Brazil? How, how dare you respect the GOAT, man. Um, but yeah, so they've already started business um, and we'll see how that goes for them. But I don't think they need to add a huge amount of players to the squad, though. And they have kind of ground out a couple of results recently, haven't they? So yeah, they've and... clawed their way up the table a little bit. I think, yeah, you can sort of tell from the press conferences. I think that Steve Cooper's getting a little bit, you're not sort of like annoyed, but just sort of like, oh, here we go again. We get sort of asked questions about possible transfers. I mean, you know. But in all fairness, when, you, when you've got an owner that spends money like it's Monopoly money, like, mm. you kind of, I don't feel too much sympathy for him. And also he's been able to build a fairly strong squad compared to what most people think Forrest should have as a newly promoted team. Yeah. I don't think he should be moaning. But um, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't. I don't think there's much that they should realistically do. Um, no, you know, putting a, taking aside um, what the owner wants to do. Hang on, let me just get the form guide up because I do have it here. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? There it is. So yeah, Forest have actually been on a pretty pretty decent run. They now start sitting what like thirteenth position in the table, something like that. Yeah. Um. They're. Undefeated in three, they got three wins in five and one defeat in four. So, you know, it, it's it's a turnaround, and I think Steve Cooper deserves a lot of credit there. You know that that the city grounds. I, I'm going to be fully brutal and say, look at who those wins were against. So they beat Leicester, they beat Southampton. <sighs> one or draw against Chelsea. I think the one draw. this Chelsea team is a little bit of a mess. There's one poor performance in there. I think that was the United game, obviously. Um, but United, I think, at the time, were playing quite well. Yeah. But I, you can only win or you know perform against what's put out in front yeah, of you. True. And for them to pick up the points in a very sort of congested bottom half of the table is is really, really promising for what Forrest are trying to do this year, which is effectively just stay up. Yeah. They've started off poor. They've started to change the results around. I think you can only give full credit to the team and to Steve Cooper. Absolutely. No, that's good. Um, and then I won't get you to go over Liverpool, uh, Brentford or Brighton beating Liverpool. Yeah, can we not? Um, I've already had to live through it once. I don't it, want to live through it again. It, I suppose now it's just uh, teams will stop looking at Liverpool and being scared of them, thinking it's a good opportunity to grab three points, which is obviously yeah. very good for the other four teams. Um, but I, I just, you know, I would just, I, you know, we've we've talked a lot about these sort of teams um, so far this season. But it just sums up what's good about the other fourteen teams. Those are sort of like higher up the table. You know, they bring a lot um, in terms of style. You know, their, their pace, their bravery, their, their teamwork. They're coached well. They've got nothing going on behind the scenes. They can just get on, play their football, and just sort of entertain. And that's exactly what Brentford and Brian, and the likes of Fulham as well, have done all season long. Absolutely, absolutely, indeed. In our time away, we also had the very sad news of the passing of West Ham co-owner David Gold. He took joint charge at West Ham with David Sullivan in 2010, and he had previously been chairman and co-owner of other 14 alumni at Birmingham City. At age 86, David Gold passed away. He was a lifelong West Ham fan and grew up just around the corner to Upton Park. Um, From my experience, whenever I heard him being interviewed, 
he always sounded very passionate about West Ham, even though at times fans disagreed very strongly with the decisions that were being made at the club. Um, I have to say, West Ham fans are on the whole quite critical of the ownership, particularly GSB being Gold, Sullivan and Brady. But I have to say, I do think David Gold was by far the one who was most popular amongst fans because Mm. fans acknowledged that they didn't particularly like Brady. And then also Sullivan Heels always had more of a stake in the club than Gold. So almost in terms of decision-making power, David Gold was a little bit more, had his hands tied a little bit more. Um, But it's obviously very sad to see um, him pass because he has been involved in football for so, so many years. And then at uh, West Ham's home game against Everton this weekend, um, I believe the club have arranged uh, a nice sort of uh, send-off for him, uh, for the fans. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But I have to say, I think he's definitely uh, one of the more popular members of the current ownership structure. Um, so obviously very sad to see him him pass away. Yeah, very, very sad news. And um, just sort of from the outside looking in, he seemed to be the fan of that ownership group if you know if you were to put a a West Ham fan inside that ownership group he was obviously the one that sort of bled carrot and blue type thing absolutely um you know you can criticize all, all you want about sort of footballing decisions but deep down he was a football man through and through hmm. so yeah obviously very very sad news indeed sad news um but obviously it has then come up um in in his passing and uh, and people reflecting he's um absolute stellar tweets oh um, tweets his tweets are absolutely fantastic while some people people start you start digging through their tweets and you realize they say some nasty stuff david gold is completely the opposite it's i don't know whether he was in, intentionally like this but he was so very entertaining with his responses he yes. was <laughs> shot down some people excellently um it's almost as if you go surely that isn't actually him tweeting uh but if it was absolutely spot on from the guy, because he, he had some yeah. absolutely stellar responses to people, some light burns, um, and dishing out a fair bit of just general. Uh, I'm gonna say the word banter, but I don't think that does that does it enough justice. It's just a, a lot of good jest in there from him. It's like it's like when you take the training rules off your kid's bike. You know, it just ends up in pure chaos. It was a bit because when you when you when you give him the reins of a Twitter page, that that's sort of what it, what ends up happening. Yeah, but no. Um, David Gold is very sad to see him pass. And um... RIP. Okay, at this point of the show, Tom, we would normally go through the results of the game week, but with the amount of games that have been played over the last few weeks... There have um, been many results. We would be here for hours with you reading them out. So instead, Tom, I just want you to give me three of your standout results since those Boxing Day fixtures that have impressed you most. First of all, I... Again, I'm unfortunately going to have to mention it, aren't I? Because I, I think it it just has to go with saying it is Brentford and Brighton against Liverpool. Those two results were just stellar for the other 14. Um, two home victories in front of a home crowd against a very weakened Liverpool side. But anytime you beat one of the top six, it always has to go down as a top mark for this pod. Um, the other one I would say is Spurs against Villa the oh. um Villa 2-0 I was th- I cuz my my dad is a Spurs fan um for mm. un- for unfortunate reasons um but he 
we were watching the game and the way I saw Villa playing, I just thought Emery has this down to a T. You know, he's he's come in and immediately got that team playing and they're playing with a style and just it was classic, it was a classic away performance whereby, you know, it was obviously clearly quite nervy in in um in the White Harm uh, White Harm, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And Villa completely capitalized on a very weak Spurs. And yeah, I was just thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by what I saw from Villa. They've clearly turned it around from the Stevie G days. And um, yeah, again, one of my sort of top marks for the new men, the new managers coming in. Emery, I think, has done a, a stellar job so far with um, with Aston Villa. It will get tougher, but I think so far so good. So yeah. those those are my three. I, I think just three standout performances, three very solid performances mm. from the other fourteen there. I have to say one fixture that was back on Boxing Day that I am particularly impressed by. Obviously, we shouldn't be surprised because of how well they have been playing this season. But it was a Boxing Day fixture where Brentford got the two all out of Tottenham at home. Um, yes. And that was just a really good performance just to see them kind of... Because that, bef- that was almost the start of where everyone started now going, oh, Tottenham particularly good. Oh, is Conte falling apart? Does he know what he's doing? Oh, he's going to start moaning again. But there were like those back-to-back results that they drew with Brentford, then they lost to Villa, um, which had been uh, which had been very entertaining to watch from a, a West Ham fan and another 14 <laughs> perspective, because we haven't had much to cheer recently. So, yeah, shout out to Brentford. And just overall Brentford's performances, they've just been t- churning out results week after week, which has been exceptional. So um, they drew with Tottenham, then they beat West Ham. They've then um, beat Liverpool. They then went and beat Bournemouth, um, and that brings us then up to this game week, whether at home, uh, whether away at Leeds at Ellen Road. So, I think for me over this period, not necessarily just specific games, but Brentford have been the team that have been most entertaining for me, and I've been most impressed by. There have been a lot of good performances throughout the last couple of weeks, but it hasn't all been rainbows and sunshine for some of the other fourteen. And as much as we can talk about the Brightons of the world, we should really take a moment to talk about the sides in danger. Over recent weeks, Forest and Wolves have clawed their way out of the relegation zone. And as it stands, West Ham, Everton and Southampton, three Premier League veterans, make up places 18 through to 20. The only silver lining is that there are only two points that separate 14th place Leeds and bottom place Southampton. Tom, you've already relegated Southampton. Um, uh, who else needs to be on high alert most, or is pretty much everyone in danger down there at the moment? Look, I, I think you know we've we've said this sort of quite a number of times now, and it is very much you know it's not it's not a cliche, but it, it says it gets said way too many times. The, the table doesn't lie. The three teams that are at the bottom have been the three worst sides overall in this oh, campaign so far. Yeah. No, that looking... being said, and we have noted that the table is very, very tight, but there is just the very sort of light smidges of um, gaps starting to open up at the bottom. Um, although saying that, it is literally just 15. Scrap what I just said. Um no, it is very tight at the bottom. You mentioned sort of from Leeds down to Southampton, you know, from 14th down to 20th, there's literally only just two points. And we've said it sort of quite a few times throughout 
the sort of season so far is that, you know, you go on a run of maybe just two wins out of three or something like that, and you can claw yourself right up to sort of like mid-table, like very much mid-table. So mm. it's not outside the realms of possibility that, you know, Southampton might get a result of the weekend and, and finish sort of above Leeds, um, because it is possible. But I, I would say those three teams at the bottom, I would specifically say Everton, also, because there's just alarm bells ringing all around the club right now. That it's a very, very unhappy club. Um, yeah. Everton, you know, the, the the game against West Ham has been described as what high threat by their. Um, oh, I can't remember who said it, but it was a, a, a been, has been described as a high threat fixture with obviously huge, huge disagreements between fans and ownership. The fans That's... are very much against the ownership right now. There's not, it's not, I'm not, I've not heard many calls for Frank to lose his job. No, and that's it's what's been more, interesting. The anger has been more directed at the ownership. Mm. Um, and yeah, I do find it interesting because Frank's record at the moment is horrendous. It is one of the worst, if not the worst record a Premier League manager has, has had at Everton. Yeah, I yeah, don't remember as... I don't remember an Everton manager being in this position at this stage of the season and not having uh, been sacked. So the fact that they've stuck yeah. with him. But then, why would Mashiri and I suppose Kenwright as well, though I'm not sure he has much power, why would they sack Lampard at this point? Because they clearly haven't made a good any good decisions in the last come, like, six years. So why would changing making a change no, help them anymore? No, that's the thing. They've, they've gone from manager to manager to manager, and it, it clearly isn't. You know that that is a little. It's a little bit of a poison chalice right now because they are getting sort of over the years. They have been getting funds and they have been getting players sort of coming through. But what they've been getting has been trash. Mm. You know, there's oh, no other two ways to talk about it. The players rubbish. that they've been signing. They've been signing absolute garbage, and it has gradually dwindled down that squad that Everton squad from sort of what was a reasonably sort of decent class Premier League side sort of knocking on the verges of European spots down to sort of mid-table then down to relegation sort of candidates we saw that last year I just there is just huge huge alarm bells at Everton and if if it's is it weird saying that I think relegation would do them good I think it would almost be a bit like Newcastle when they did get relegated. It was a bit of a, a reset, yeah. and for you can almost to... reset. Although you do then have the danger of resetting so much, you end up in League One, which a couple of Premier League teams have experienced. Um, yeah, I I don't think that would be the case with no. Team, I don't I, I don't think they would fall apart that much. But who in that squad hangs about? Because surely they lose their best assets almost immediately. You look at. Pickford, oh, 100%. Would, Pickford would go, DCL would go, you've got Tarkovsky and Cody who have been well, we keep talking about how they made great they were great additions for Everton at the back obviously hasn't played out that well um, but then to be honest I couldn't really name you and this is really bad, I couldn't name you who their most influential player say in the middle of the park is at the moment <sighs> honestly because I know they had Decore, they bought Idrissa Gay back from PSG. But yeah, Anana was a signing, and Anana, yeah, was a youngster. Bit parts this year, 
Yeah, he's quite very. He's still only like twenty-one or something. He's still so, very raw. Still very raw. So in terms of, I just don't know. I couldn't name you Everton's strongest team at the moment, but I don't think they I don't know think either. Frank could either. Hmm. But even look at everyone was praising Anthony Gordon what, four months ago, and then he's dropped off the face of the planet. Sixty million pounds. Yeah, sixty million pounds. To but that, is, to that is that is a Todd Bowley figure. So you know that could you know. Yeah, but with Todd inflation, that's probably 100 million. Yeah, Todd Bowley pays his figures, so it's he's crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a weird process, hasn't it? Uh, to be honest, um, I'm for Everton. I mean, the, as a club, the, the, mm, sorry, go on. I don't, I look, I suppose I bundle them in at the moment and looking at where teams are, and I think you're right, almost relegation would do them best. But at the same time, they're fat because they will still always have they they're the sort of team that if they get relegated, Goodison will still sell out every week because they have that sort of fan 100%, base. Yeah. So they will not have that and problem. The, the new ground would as well. Oh, absolutely. Um it's just a case of I don't think they just need to say change manager or change squad. They need they very much need to change ownership, and that unfortunately doesn't happen in the next that won't happen in the next 20 game weeks. No. No, absolutely not. Um, and it, it, it won't change their fortunes at the drop of a hat either. Oh, no. They won't suddenly start playing brilliant. Even, even if tomorrow other 14 incorporated with our billions of pounds that we have bought out Everton, there's no mm. way that we could guarantee that Everton are going to stay up at all in the slightest. So, yeah. Um, I would also... Although it's a weird thing to say, going, I think Everton will get relegated because it's Everton and they're never present. And I don't think they've, they've always ever, been in the Premier League. I don't think they've ever been this far down this long into the season. And that's no. what's different to most others. Um, they've only got three wins all season. Yeah, but then the teams around them, if we go and pivot to... Unfortunately, the team I have to go and watch, West Ham... Only four wins this season, three draws and 12 losses, sitting on 15 points, and it's looking absolutely awful. David Moyes is under so much pressure right now to get results. Fans have slowly turned on him now to, I think... Where have he... you turned? I don't... I they can't throw questions here on the other 14. So, honestly... I would still keep him because what we need, a couple of things here. One is the sort of manager we would bring out is some sort of bring in would be, and the name's banded about, would be some sort of manager to come in and be the sort of saviour. So the likes of a Benitez, the likes of a Daesh, but our issue isn't that. It's not that we need saving that we're in some sort of crisis like that. What we need is someone to kind of ignite the spark. Yeah. Like we've almost got all the pieces together. They're just not fitting. And I know I'm mixing analogies and making it horrendous. But <laughs> I think if you're looking for a saviour type, if we had no manager and David Moyes was available, and I think David Moyes would be the person brought in. And that's, I think, the line that the club has made. Yeah. And I don't think there's any manager that excites me enough that I think they're going to do anything significantly different that will suddenly make everything work. So, or that realistically West Ham could get. Also, 
Yeah, go on. Also, my second thing is about changing a manager now. The last team, a team, sorry, the last time a team in the bottom three changed their manager in January and stayed up was Swansea in 2016. Who did they bring in? I can't remember. But either way, I'm, I, I thought I had this on, I'm pretty sure I had this on a BBC podcast uh, during the week. So my concern would be is changing a manager at this start part of the season almost never guarantees safety. It just doesn't happen. Right. So I think it's it's not looking good. And I do think, unfortunately, I think if we if West Ham lose to Everton on Saturday, Moyes is gone. I think the club would have made their decision there. Uh, I think that he is almost this is do or die for him. They need three points. I yeah. think the draw would put them in a difficult position, but if they lose to Everton, he's gone. I think that reckon, is the case. Do you reckon it is a case now that he's, he's, he's lost the dressing room? Because there, there must be a reason why certain players in this squads, in comparison to last year and maybe even the year before, then, you know, the likes of Jared Bowen, why, why isn't Bowen on form? See, I don't think it's a case of losing the dressing room because... I, so, an interesting, so there was, Vicar uh, Antonio was talking and about what's going on about West Ham. And he said, in the previous years, where West Ham have been so good, their attitude going into the season has been, let's get 40 points. This season, the attitude changed of, oh, we were two points off of Champions League last season. Let's go get Champions League. And I suppose when you then don't start hitting that mark and being up and chasing the like with the likes of Newcastle, Brentford, Brighton, and Fulham, mm. who are all up there, then maybe that's where you kind of go, "Oh, guys, we're all failing. We're all awful. We can't play football." And maybe while before it was, "Oh, what have we got to lose?" This season, it's here's the expectation. Here's what we want. And when yeah. you don't meet that, performances are then you're going to buckle under that sort of pressure. And I'm not saying that's not Moyes' fault. But at the same time, I don't think it necessarily means that anyone else coming in will change that. No. Uh, and I, I think sort of, sort of on the outside looking in, I, this squad is better than where they are right now. And I think that is clear to see. The squad is miles better than Southampton, miles yeah. better than Everton, miles better than Bournemouth are also down there. Um, Wolves have got a reasonably good squad. Leicester are weak in places, but doing better. And Leeds, I would say West Ham have a stronger squad than Leeds. But it's just not, it's just not clicking and it hasn't clicked since pretty much the start of the season. <sighs> That I think, to be honest, that the, as much as you, you, you know, I, I, I like, I, and I appreciate and, you know, respect what you're doing, sort of backing up David Moyes and everything like that. But I just, it's got the rumblings of a manager that just can't quite get it fixed right now. And it, it might just take, I mean, Moyes has been in charge for what now, like three, the second time round, what three and a half years now, or something like that. Um, he has had, I think it's been three. It was like three years this January because he came in the December of the COVID season. Mm. So yeah, he's pretty much had, he's pretty much had three years now in the club. But that's the thing. 
in my mind, and I know he's worn this away with so many other fans, to me, he's still in credit. He has given me the that is be- a lot of credit. But he has given me the best seasons as a West Ham fan by Country Mile. I'm I'm used to seeing us have Big Sam play dull football. Yeah. Avram Grant get us relegated. Oh God. Like at, us battle relegation year under year with Pardew, Kirbishley, Zola. Like we got relegated, not that like well, we got promoted about ten years ago before um it was about that when we so we were only done in the championship for one season before we bought Big Sam in. We then since had after Big Sam we then had a great season under Billich, only the one season that was good. We then bought in Pellegrini, who once again, flash in the pan, was okay for a bit, and then we turned to being rubbish again. We had two really good seasons mm. under David Moyes, and I haven't seen a consistent West Ham side to perform over that length of time like in my life going back beyond uh, before Pardew it gets even worse like we had the likes of Glenn Rhoda Trevor Brooking obviously stepped in we had a great side that finished quite well under Redknapp with youth and then it all fell apart and we got relegated like it's never been brilliant for West Ham and the closest bit thing to brilliant we've ever had was last season Europa League and then challenging for higher places in the league finish. Yeah. I, I I think from West Ham typically have always seemed to have quite a short fuse when it when it comes to managers in terms of like go on a bad run and then okay, yeah, time time for a change. I think the ownership right now seems to like you have been given Moyes that little bit of extra leeway in terms of like give you a bit more opportunity to try and but yeah, I I, I do think you know, it's halfway through the season now, 19 games gone. You find yourself in the relegation zone and in a relegation scrap. Like you, I, I, I do think that if the result, like this game against Everton, it cannot be understated the importance of it because of where both teams find themselves at the in, in the table. If, like, are we, we're looking at an Elsieke, I think. I think at this point, I suppose it's a case of if you're looking at which manager is currently performing best out of either, I think if you were to turn around to West Ham fans and go, you sack Moyes tomorrow, do you want Lampard? West Ham fans would go, oh, no, no, no. But if you were to go to Everton fans, you sack Lampard tomorrow and you get Moyes, I think you'd have some Everton fans be keen on that idea. And that's the thing. We've got, we're in a relegation battle. We, We've got a manager that we bought yeah. in three years ago for a relegation battle. So why would we not stick with why would we not stick with him? Because I don't think there's anyone who's more fit for the job. Right. You don't see you don't think there's anyone else out there that right now who, you know say that, for example, if you were to bring in Vincent Company from Burnley. I'm not saying that would ever happen, but Burnley find themselves playing quite well right now, right at the top but, of the championship. And they're playing great football at the top of the championship, but in the nicest way, does Vincent Company know what it takes to get out of a relegation battle? He's had two two seasons in management, three seasons yep. in management. 
with and Anderlecht, I think it was over in Belgium, yeah. and then he's come to Burnley, who have had who have one of the better squads in the championship. And before yeah. that, he played for a decade at Man City, and all they knew was the top of the table. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like I, I rate him as a manager. I just and maybe sometime he might become my my favorite prospect to become my sound manager. But I think when we're having lots of names thrown about, it's a relegation battle, and yeah, I it's not just you don't just bring in anyone for that, and that's the same reason why for years Allardyce was brought in by teams to keep teams up because that was what he did, and that's yeah. what he's good at. And I think Moyes can do that job, and he's also better. Um, and also, as you're saying, I think if we were currently in Leeds's position, 14th in the table, only two points from the relegation zone, I don't think there would be calls for Moyes' head. No. But it's only because we've got that awful number 18 next to our name. Yeah. Everyone started going, oh, we're going down. Yeah, well, just because your name's slightly shaded in red, that's why. But exactly. While there are teams that are, we've established, are squads worse than us, with managers who I think aren't as good. And I think, yeah, I just, it's one of those things that it's really, you can't turn around to West Ham fans and go, have a bit of faith, cheer a bit louder. Yeah. Because that's, at the end of the day, the players and the management, whatever's happening. West Ham are not performing. Yeah. That is the bottom line. Yeah. But I don't so, think there's any short term changes apart from bringing a couple of players to score not Danny a couple Ings. of goals. I, I think that, that has been the. Um, so Ings, as, as of today, it's not been fully confirmed, but it's near enough done. But yeah, the all, all, the, all the media outlets jumped at it really early. Um, Sky was very quick on it. Yeah, they're saying, oh, Dan- Danny Ings is signed for West Ham. No, they agreed a fee. So I think it's between 13 and 15 million pounds. Um, we need a goal scorer because Skamaka's injured and Antonio is... I'm not sure how to put this nicely. Um, Mikel Antonio is performing prime Mikel Antonio. Um, And I think Danny Ings is a good addition. It's someone that West Ham have actually looked at for the last eight years or so since he came up with Burnley. Just seems now we've got him on the twilight end of things. But if Danny Ings comes loves in... Loves playing and, for a team in Claret and Blue. He loves playing for the a trilo- team. Loves yeah. to complete the trilogy. Well, after us, he can then go to Scunthorpe and uh, tick there off the Football League. Um, CC Scunthorpe, if you're listening. So I think if Danny Ings comes in, scores somewhere between five and ten goals, then and we stay up, then he's done his job, and I don't think that's a bad transfer. No, I think sort of from what I, sort of from the outside looking in, you you're a team that it does create chance, but you're not taking chances at the moment. And I think you need a clinical finisher. If they can keep Danny, if you can keep Danny Ings fit, Danny Ings is the sort of player who can bank, like you said, can bang you in five to ten goals for the remaining part of the season and sort of score you goals in crucial parts of games where it might be the difference between you know one point and three points or zero points and one point. Yeah, and I think he's just got a bit more of a head on him. Like yeah. Antonio very much runs around straight lines for about 10 minutes then gets tired. And when he takes a shot, you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Well, you don't know which planet it's going to land on because his finishing leaves a lot to be desired. Might be the same planet as Hurricane's penalty. Um... And then Skamaka has been good in parts for West Ham. I just think it needs, and it's a weird thing to say, for a... £40 million signing or however much else, but he does need a bit of time. 
Um, he's a season's bed in, I think. Exactly. And also now he's injured. So yeah. we, do, we do need someone. Danny Ings, as much as I don't know how old he is, he could be 30, 31, for all I know. Uh, genuinely. He's still in his 20s, he's, but I think it might be like 20s. 20s. He feels like he's been around for ages. If he's in his 20s, I'm even happier because he's been he's a player. 30. Okay, because he's a player that's always been sharp on his toes. He's never been like that. He's never been an outright pace merchant. It's more his positioning and his kind of little kind of dips and dives that have yep. got him to where he's at. So, you know what? If it's 15 million for Danny Ings, then I'm going to absolutely lap that up and take that um, because it just gives us something else up top, something that we've missed all this season because we've gone between... Antonio, whose form is dreadful, and Skamaka, who hasn't been on fire yet. Um, so, you know what? That's only a good addition for me. Um, and I think he's the sort of player with the Premier League experience that particularly where we've got... We've got some players who haven't got that much Premier League experience and we've maybe got some naivety in the squad. I feel he's a fairly like head Scrooge on type of guy who can almost be a bit of a leader in the dressing room as well to kind of encourage encourage us and get us going so yeah well we'll see if that transfer goes through which i think by all i means, think it will be i think he's, do, he's doing yeah, his medical done. as we're recording today which is thursday the 19th um and then i think west ham need to get him registered before midday on friday the friday 20th. is usually a friday deadline yeah. isn't it yeah so he needs to be registered before midday to then be eligible to play for um mm. west ham and i can already imagine london stadium it's nil-nil, 60 minutes gone, because I don't know whether Ings would start, but bring him on. Yeah, he would start. But imagine if you bring him on for the last 30 minutes. Imagine the atmosphere around the stadium when they bring when you bring on someone who is brought in to score some goals. I know that West Ham have had it before where they've got a promised goal scorer come in and not deliver. But you know what? I think there are worse transfers out there at the moment. No, I think it's a, I think it's a shrewd signing. Mm. I really do. And it, Danny Ings always seems to have a transfer where it just always takes you a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. So when, it, when he left Southampton, I was like, okay, that just happened. And I was pretty much the same reaction when I saw the news today. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm, I'm happy with it and I can't complain yeah. at all. Um, we've spoken a lot about West Ham there and I feel I've absolutely gone off on one. Um, other teams that are down there, obviously Bournemouth, Gary O'Neill started so well, we were questioning why he hadn't been given a permanent deal. And then we've come to realise why he hasn't been why he wasn't given a permanent deal for so long, but now he's been given one. It's it's not been great for Bournemouth, has it? No, I mean the form of late has not been fantastic. Um let me just pick that up. Um so, so of their last five, they've lost four of their lost four and they've yeah, those recent games. Lost last four. Um, they find themselves was it 17th or 16th now on the table they are 17th they are one point above West Ham yeah the uh, issue is once again their goal difference from that 9-0 nine, nine drubbing they're on minus 23 which is yeah six they, they worse scored than anyone games. else done it yeah but uh, but I think if you to look at a lot of the teams down there they haven't scored many goals in recent games either yeah uh, I, I think you, you look at the likes of um Sort of players who were on form for them during the time where Gary O'Neill was a temporary manager, the likes of Josh Billing. Oh, Billings was uh, on fire. Yeah, he was really on fire. Uh, Dominic Solanke, I think, has sort of been in and out with either form or has had a few injury problems. Those sort of goal threats just seem to have dried up a little bit. 
Um, and just from, you know, you, you're coming up against a, a Forest side, I think, in this this week. I just I can honestly see Forest winning that game. Mm. Um, Bournemouth, I said, I think I had Bournemouth down as one of my favourites for the relegation um, or for the drop, rather, um, in our preview pod to start the year. I just, there was a little bit of a buzz around sort of Gary O'Neill, but, you know, like most things, I just, overall, Bournemouth never really have the squad to sort of be up and amongst or like mid-table. So they're not going to do a Fulham, for example. I just don't think that's their sort of mantra. They're a team that sort of comes up and sort of hovers around the relegations and just sort of survives. I, I think the big difference between and this may not be giving them anywhere enough, enough credit because Marco Silva is a good manager and he has built a reasonably good team. The biggest difference between Bournemouth and Fulham right now is a six foot two Serbian. Like, realistically, Fulham are up there because Mitrovic is a quality striker. I know they've won some games when he's not been in the squad because of the It's to learn to take a penalty, though. <laughs> That is, it was so, two foot a penalty. Oh, it's so it's so unfortunate, isn't it? Um, yeah, it wasn't for me because I didn't have him in my fantasy team, but neither did I. Yeah, but um, I but think, anyway. I, but we said this at the top, um, start of the season. We said the reason Fulham will stay up is because they've got a really good goal scorer, yeah. and I feel that's then created a really good environment around the team of positivity. And you can see that even when he's been away, uh, when he was suspended, they still managed to grind out a result. Yeah. And that is because he, I don't know, I feel that kind of positivity, get, like his goals get you up the table. And then once yeah. you're up there, you can kind of just feed on the positivity and the team has just kept getting result after result after result. And they yeah, can exactly. just turn it over. Um, Like Bourbon, for example, they don't have, from when they first came up, they don't have a Callum Wilson. No. They had um, Callum Wilson, Josh King, who were just banging them in for fun. And yeah. now they've got a Dominic Solanke and can't really think of who else they've got up top. Yeah, you just sort of felt when, um, and you know, we, we, we praised Gary all the time and, and rightly so because, you know, no one expected them to turn anything around once Parker got the sack. You know, 9-0 driving at, at Anfield. There was a lot to sort of, I mean, it couldn't have got, got any worse than that. So there wasn't really that much expectation, but he did turn it around. But ultimately, I think they're just sort of gradually running out of steam. And I, I can't... They've got to make a few signings, at least at the top. So looking at who they've already signed this transfer window, they have um, signed a couple of players on loan. At, oh, no, they haven't. They have, Sorry, they haven't signed anyone yet. Um, mm. So that's a bit of a... Because, yeah, I think you're right. They needed a striker. and They're in desperate need of a striker. They've got Dominic Solanke and Kiefer Moore. And they're their two out-and-out strikers. It doesn't exactly scream goals, 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 does it? No, I'm just having a look now. Um, yeah, so Billing is their top scorer with four. Kiefer Moore has four and Solanke has three. Uh, and then, which well, don't get me wrong, I still think he's better than some of the teams down there. I can't think of a West Ham player, for example, that scored more than four this season. No, I mean looking at those sort of, especially those sort of that top three, that billion more Solanke sort of partnership. You, you are hoping 
that amongst them they do sort of sort of ah oh, just they do something at least but that I think they just need a few more reinforcements up the top. But yeah, it, it, I, it's, I, it's not there's there's not a huge deal of attacking threat there. Um, you know, Kiefer Moore can pop up with a goal every now and again. Billing has been. I don't think he's scored. I think he got to the, the four mark. I think he scored the four in pretty much the two or three games after O'Neill became manager, didn't he? Yeah, pretty much. And then there's just been nothing since. And like I said, Solanke, I think has had a few injury problems, so they are in desperate need for some reinforcements. There, absolutely. I suppose um, the differences between them and the clubs around them is that if you look at the clubs in and around that area. Just in terms of, they might not have scored this seat that many this season. But you look at Southampton; they do have Shea Adams, who has been known to score some goals. Everton DCL has scored a lot of goals in the past in the Premier League. Mm. Um, Wolves have Jimenez, who um, has been, now he's up and running, uh, and they've signed her from Atletico Kihuna, who is oh yeah, Cunha, yeah, Cunha, sorry, um, who looks like a bit of a player. Then Leicester, they do have the likes of Vardy and Barnes who score goals. Leeds, Bamford's back and fit. He knows how to find the back of the net. They've got Rodrigo who's been scoring quite for fun this season. West Ham Almost then just have, don't seem to have a talisman. Well, I that's think. the thing. West Ham then do have like Bowen who has scored in the Premier League quite a lot. Yeah. Um, not necessarily this season. Antonio uh, has in the past, but they do then have, they are bringing Ings in. Um, so I think everyone else has at least got a player who has been on hot form before and scored a lot of goals. Well, yeah. you look at that Bournemouth squad and none of them really make you think, oh, I'm going to put them down to be first goal scorer on an Acker. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. Which is a shame and unfortunate. Um, but once again, I do like Gary O'Neill. <laughs> he seems like a really nice guy. He did make it. He came in for when the Parker instant... It, was obviously a bit of a change for him. Um, it's just obviously a bit sad the way it's working out, but also it kind of makes Scott Parker correct, does it not? I mean, he in the, I not I... in not in how he said it, but what he said, he turned around and said the squad wasn't good enough to compete at the Premier League level. Currently, they're competing in a relegation battle, and only we'll know in twenty weeks the outcome. But to an extent, he didn't lie. No, he hasn't lied. I, I, I think, you know, ultimately the reason he got the sack it wasn't because uh, it wasn't because Bournemouth lost nine 0 to Liverpool. It's because of the comments. Mm. You, you just you just can't say that. Gary Neal is, I think, very forthright and very sort of honest and, and humble with what he says. But he will do everything he can to support the the, the club and try and push these these guys forward to actually perform I just like what like you said what Scott Parker said um, after the Liverpool game I think we said at the time he's not wrong and I think we saw at the start of the season this squad just simply isn't good enough for for the Premier League you know um, the, the likes of the signings that Forrest are bringing in for example they are sort of there were a lot of signings and it was going to take quite some time to get some chemistry going but they gradually sort of started together in terms of their point accumulation Bournemouth just uh, are not there right now. They're just that they're a team that you sort of see up on the fixture list and just think, yeah, I love that. Well, I suppose at the moment, I don't know. You kind of look at any fixture with them involved, 
and you go, oh, they're up against a team down in the relegation zone, you kind of almost favour... Actually, apart from maybe Southampton and Everton, I do fancy any other team round there to be beating Bournemouth at the moment. Yep. Like, it's they are very much in it. Um, but we'll wait and see what... team... But there are a team that sort of can go on a on a on a poor run and then just out of nowhere just crop up with maybe two or two or three wins. But they did um, that once. I know. I, I know they're Premier League new boys, so we're like, well, like it's very. They this is a very yeah. different. This is a very different ball side to the one yeah. that was previously in the Premier League. Um, and once again, looking at it, it's all well and good being a manager when you pre- your team's in the middle of the table, towards top half of the table, but then. Does Gary O'Neill know what a relegation battle's actually like? And that's the big difference. And I suppose that's the same thing when we talk about Moyes having that experience. Nathan Jones doesn't have that. Um, Frank Lampard doesn't have that. While the other teams down there kind of do a little bit. Jesse Marsh was in and around down there last season and survived. You can't really throw Lopetegui into that conversation because it's Lopetegui. Like, he's a good manager, so we'll leave him. Um, But, you know... There's just the managerial experience counts for a lot when you're down there, and that's why I think, unfortunately, I I see Bournemouth going now as well. While if you go back to October time, we were singing Bournemouth's praises and how well they were doing. Yeah, we were, we were, um, and it, it does seem quite a long time ago now. But I, I think ultimately, at the back of my head, I just think it it could. You know, it was it was always a question of I think how long could Bournemouth keep it up? Hmm. And I don't think realistically it was ever sustainable. No, I think you're right there. Um which is sad, but you know they might turn it around and we might be but, uh, wrong. But you know, we are discussing this and there are still effectively another there's a whole other half of the season to go and we've already discussed, you know, how tight the um I, I if it sort of stays like this, I think we we could potentially be in for one of the tightest relegation oh, battles I, I, at this point. Seen. At this point, forty points is not the goal for any of these no. teams. Um, it's mad to think that they've got like nineteen games there or thereabouts. The most teams they've got nineteen games, and the difference across those nineteen games will be two points. Yeah, because <laughs> that's where we're currently at nineteen, and there's two points it's, between six to bottom of fourteen. Right so. And that is literally that could be you could match the form with with one yeah. of those other teams down there, and it just comes down to that head to head game, and that is the swing between you staying up and them going down. Exactly. So we'll wait and see how that all goes. Now moving on from the doom and gloom of relegation. Goal of the week. Tom, um, we have had far too many goals since we last recorded um yeah and at this point of the show i'd normally ask you for a goal of the week but i suppose this time i'm asking you for what is your goal of the festive period right so listeners i will be sort of plainly honest um like there has been a lot of football being played and from what i remember because like anything over the Christmas period just sort of amalgamates into one. There wasn't anything sort of outstanding in terms of goals. I mean, I could be horrendously wrong about this, um, but there was only, and what I would normally do for goals of the week or goals of the festive period, you know, bonus special this one, 
um, would be to list like a short list. But I, I literally, there was only one that sort of stood out in my head that I sort of remembered. And that was Damari Gray's finish against um, against Manchester City. Um, you know, a standard sort of Damari Gray strike outside the box, outside the box, curling effort at the Etihad against City to get Everton on level terms and actually, you know, ended up drawing that game. That for me was the one that stood out. I, I think there were a couple of other sort of notable mentions that I have actually sort of written down. So I remember there being Brighton put some good team goals together. I remember there's been some yep. r- really good play. The only disappointing thing for me is that I can't remember Miguel Almoron scoring an absolute worldie at any point, which is normally our default. Or in all fairness, a Newcastle. Miggy did have Miggy did have a goal against Leicester, um, which I think I noted down as as quite a reasonable strike. And now, from the top of my head, just cannot remember the strike whatsoever uh, because it has been quite a while ago. Um, but the the one that sort of you know naturally goals sort of just sort of imprint themselves on my brain. That's you know the whole part of the goal of the week. Um, but the only one that sort of remained there over the, the period was Damari Gray's strike. Um, I think probably in this time, James Ward-Prowse has scored a couple of good free kicks because that seems to be Southampton's mm. only main method of getting goals. Um, the one he most recently scored... Actually, I will, I will, I will, yeah, go on. The one he most recently scored where it was quite a, it was a free kick from quite deep and wide and he did one of those crosses that um, aiming for back post, aiming for far post, an in-swinger, and every player misses it, it bounces and then goes in the top corner. I quite enjoy that as a goal because yeah. that is really just... I, it, the, it's the, just the, sort of like chaos because it's just sort of everyone looks at each other. Yeah, and also because no defender goes through it because they're scared of putting it into their own net. But from the kick taker, yeah. it's absolutely perfect because it takes a touch from anyone to send it in. But then if no one touches it, it also goes in. So spot on. Um, yeah. I've just gone through and counted out the amount of goals by other 14 teams since... Uh, since the Boxing Day fixtures. Um, Go on. It's quite an amusing answer. Is it 69 by any chance? There have been 69 goals by the other 14 since we it's last It's so, so sad that I got that straight away. It is. No, no, what you're saying, Tom, is you remember all 69 goals and that... I... No. Um, in all fairness, other standout goals for you me... Insert think... immature comment here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of other goals recently of uh, that are quite good, um, I have to say that um, Elise's goal yesterday against Man U was yes. pretty good. Elise's free kick. Yeah, I think. I mean that 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 free kick was quintessentially the perfect free kick. Mm. It was right in the corner. It clips off the underside of the crossbar. It bounces down and then then bulges the net at the top part of the net. That oh, is like the perfect free kick. Oh, the, no one's no one's getting there. And uh, dear old uh, De Gea didn't, um, did he? So, um, Dave no. Saves did not make an appearance. In all fairness, didn't he save a penalty in that game? So are you giving the goal to uh, Damari Gray for his good goal against Man City? I've I've got to get I've got to give something I've got to give Everton fans something to cheer home about. So I'm going to give it to Demari Gray. <laughs> well, well done, Demari Gray, on your goal at the. I know because I know because it will make all the world a difference. Yeah, for the yeah. Everton fans right now. The, the little yeah. side note being here is that we cannot remember every goal <laughs> that has been scored. 
because there's been too much football. Okay, thank you very much for that special goal of the week. We'll be um, back to usual runnings next week. We will. So, Tom, if you can uh, rewind your brain back to our fourth World Cup bonus episode, um, we recorded just as the Premier League was about to start up again. We did do a Fab Four prediction for the Boxing Day fixtures, which to me feels like an absolute lifetime ago. But um, I suppose we should go through the results. So if we look at it, we uh, so the games we had to cover were Southampton v Brighton. We both thought that Brighton were going to win that, and they did. We both got. We were both only one the goal funny, out yeah. of getting the correct result there. You put 2-1, I put 3-2, and the result was 3-1 to Brighton. I was going to say the funny thing here would be in trying to remember what we predicted. Oh, okay. Well, you can play this. So, um, Leicester, v, <laughs> Leicester v Newcastle. Oh, God. Well, I, I think at I the, must have gone for... At like, the King Power. Of course, of, course I, I, of course, I would have gone for a Newcastle win there, surely. Okay, what do you think? Someone would be stupid if they didn't put Newcastle to win, right? Yeah. What do you think I you went for? Win, did I? Did I go for a Leicester win? What do you think? Tell me what score do you think you went for? I reckon I, I my my idiot self probably would have gone for a Leicester two, Newcastle one. No, you were correct. You put uh, Newcastle to win 1-0 and they won 3-0. I, very optimistically, because oh, I thought right. Leicester had turned a page, I put for it to be a 4-2 Leicester win. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, wow. At the time, Leicester had just started playing well, or before the World Cup, like things had started to click. I thought maybe it'd be a really good game. It was, um, well, it was a good game for Newcastle fans. Um, then Fulham v Crystal Palace. So... Uh, we neither of us got this right. Um, the result was 3 0 to Fulham. You thought Palace were you thought it was going to be a goal fest and be a 3 2 win to Palace. I thought it was going to be 2 Yeah, I did. I remember so neither of us are right there. And then relegation special Everton v Wolves. We both, for some reason, definitely got this wrong. For some reason, we fancied Frank Lampard's men to do a good job there. They lost 2 1. You thought it was going to be a one-all draw. I really thought Everton were going to win one nil. Um, turns out we're not very good at this game. So, no, amusingly. So, uh, with those results uh, over that game week, I picked up one point. You picked up two for two correct results. Um, so that puts you on twenty-two points and me on twenty-six points. So I'm still holding a little bit of a lead, but pouring it back. Oh, it doesn't take much, does it? And quite clearly, we're not very good at this game. Um, no. So before we move on to our predictions for the game week coming up, um, Tom, can you please tell us and remind us what games we have to look forward to? So here are the games that we can look forward to for match week 21 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Starting off the three o'clock, we've got Bournemouth taking on Nottingham Forest. It's Leicester up against Brighton. Southampton host Aston Villa. And it's West Ham against Everton in the El Sacchio. And then the evening kickoff on the Saturday, it's Crystal Palace up against Eddie Howe's Newcastle. Moving on to Sunday, we've got Leeds going up against Brentford. Manchester City take on Wolves. 
The Monday night football is Fulham playing host to Antonio Conte's Spurs. Is that a Martin Yole derby? It's yes, it is. Is, is it Clint Dempsey derby? It's a Clint Dempsey derby. Who else have we got? Did, did Damien Duff didn't have a very brief spell at Spurs, did he? No, surely not. Not being at Chelsea. No. Surely no. not. Um, I'm sure there's got to be someone be, else in the middle yeah. of the park, like a... Scott Parker derby. Oh, Scott Parker. Yeah, but then half the fixtures are Scott Parker derbies, aren't they? Yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Once you're in Chelsea and West Ham and Newcastle, um, he really loved London and then the North East. Um, anyway, so games to predict for this week. Go. We've got an absolute footballing classic uh, with um, David Moyes welcoming his former side Everton to the London Stadium. Oh. Now, I'm looking forward to this as much as I am look forward to my weekly dose of testicular torsion. So I hope there's goals in this game and I hope there's a lot in one direction. But Tom, please tell me who you think is going to win this, what is going to be an absolutely awful game. It, it, you're not wrong that it is going to be an awful game. And, you know, schedulers, well done for putting it at the three o'clock. So you don't have to subject the rest of the country at, um, to having it being on TV. Um, I'm laughing, but it's so true. There is no way this game, with the quality of these teams at the moment, would ever be an entertaining, like, Sunday afternoon kickoff. Like, absolute shithousery if someone was put that on TV. Um, oh. Right. Let's. At the moment, I think there's too much going on behind the scenes with Everton right now for them to even consider sort of any sort of real sort of quality or just trying to get their heads in the right frame of mind for actually playing a game of football. So I can't see Everton getting the win. That being, I just think, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna play into your little script there, and Danny Ings is gonna come off the bench, sixty minutes, and score a winner. I'm gonna go one nil West Ham. Okay, one nil West Ham. Um, I am going to put an Everton win purely on the basis that if, because I've got to go to the game, that if if West Ham do win, I'll be so elated that they have done and I won't care about this Fab Four game. But at the same time, if we do lose, at least I can get the small victory of going, at least I was, uh, at least I watched uh, me get three points in this game. Yeah. Or one yeah. point. So I'm going to go for an Everton 2 0. Um, so Bournemouth v Forest, one of the rarer Premier League fixtures to have ever happened. I think, I think actually going back, it was the, the first. Uh, the reverse fixture was the first time, wasn't it? So yeah, it was. Um, they don't play each other much. So, um, and if the first game's anything to go by, oh, it was a classic, wasn't it? Yeah, classic. But I think it's still the case that neither team knows how to defend. No, nope. but I think now Bournemouth are somewhat lacking the ability to score. For me, oh, but it's at Bournemouth, isn't it? Yep. I'm going to go for another away win. I'm going to say it's going to be a Forest 3-1. You're going to, you're going to put Forest down to scoring three goals? Well, I've, I've, t- I've typed you said it, it You've said it now. You've said, said it now. I've said it now. It's on record. It's not like I can edit this at all. I mean, I'm only going yeah. to go one less than what you said. I'm, but I, I just think it's going to be sort of a bit end-to-end and a just bit like no one knows actually how to win a game of football. So I'm, I'm going to go to all. Okay, you you are very right. Forest do not score that many goals, do they? That was a very bold prediction of me saying I'd win three, uh, win three nil. Uh, three one, you said. I think <laughs> three one. Either yeah. way, still a mistake. 
Okay, then Leicester v Brighton. Um, Leicester obviously looking a little bit better now, not in the relegation zone, kind of fighting their They've way. Not been the playing team. well recently. Not been playing recently, and then we got Brighton who are absolutely flying. But now they've got the upset of Trossard kind of forcing through a, um, a yeah transfer out, which I think from the base of it, Arsenal snapped up. So good, good move for Arsenal. I think just I th- a, a little bit poor from Trossard. I think they're, you know, I mean, first place to him, you know, if, if opportunity to go to a, you know, the Premier League leaders at the moment, but it just sort of disrupts. Yeah, it, it just, I don't think it would disrupt that much. Sort of, no, but that's the thing. The Bra- this Brighton squad doesn't get just disrupted. Doesn't get disrupted. They lost no. their manager. They kicked on and been brilliant. And yeah. look what's happened there. So um, they lost Cucurella. Nothing really changed. And um, who else did they do? Someone else in the window? Basuma, they lost Basuma, didn't Basuma they? Basuma as well to Spurs. Yeah. So, to be honest, water off a duck's back, this sort of thing, because now they've got, um, is it Mitoma, their new yeah. forward, who is absolutely electric? So, to be honest, I don't see much changing for Brighton here. Um, no, absolutely. And I I, I think I, I do put Brighton down as favourites for this one, just because I don't think Leicester, have, again, are on a bit of a poor run. But I think it would be quite. I don't think it would be cagey because I think Brian just know how to play well. So, um, but I, I would go for a comfortable but close Brighton two one win. Okay, I'm going to go for Brighton to win two nil in this. Oh, I've gone for away wins this whole thing. <laughs> um, oh, and the next game isn't going to help. Um, so Leeds v Brentford. Um, Oh, this was what five two in the in the reverse fixture. I have something a bit mad. And talking of, um, didn't Jesse well, March get sent off in this game as well? He's quite hot headed, so mm. it wouldn't surprise me. And they've had a bit. Both had uh, different fortunes up top, haven't they? Obviously, Leeds uh, Bamford is now back and fit. And Brentford, while we're away, have lost Ivan Tony to quite a long injury, from the sounds of it. Mm. Um, so. Sunday, two o'clock. Um, thing is, it won't even be televised, I don't think, because Man City. No, it's, on, it's, the, it's the Sky game. Oh, and they're not showing Man City Wolves. No. Leeds Brentford is the one. I don't get show. these TV fixtures, how they make them up, to be honest. Um, that's a bit baffling, but I'm glad that it's Leeds Brentford on TV anyway. Yeah. So settling down, it could be at a nice pub, let's say the Two Bridges, had a little bit of a roast, just moving on to your crumble. Leeds v Brentford, what do you think it's going to be? Oh, I don't think it will be another five-two, but I, I, I do, I do see goals in this game. Um, Leeds are, I think, without a win in the last four, if I remember rightly. I think it's two, two draws and two defeats as their last, last four sort of form run. Um, Brentford have been just good um, since, since returning back from the World Cup. Uh, they've just got on with it. And I, I, I can't see too much difference at the moment. But uh, that being said, Leeds have come off a, a good performance in the FA Cup in terms of their replay game hmm. um, over the week, uh, during the week. And they have um, their new sort of cult hero in Nonto. Um, he's got an absolute banger in the FA Cup, by the way. Um, if if I was going to give goals away for FA Cup, he would be, it would be that one. Um, so I, I, I think, it will be again sort of a high scoring fixture, but I think not as much as, as the previous. So I'm going to go with a, you know, what, I, th- I think it might be time for Brentford to slip up. So I'm going to go Leeds three, Brentford two. 
What a game you're planning for everyone to yeah. have on Sunday. Um, I feel I've got to go for a Leeds win as well because I can't predict all three games to be away wins. <laughs> I think you've quite sensibly, yeah, I think you're right. I think Brentford, they have been, the thing is they've been so good and so genuinely a loss would be surprising. But Leeds have suddenly learned how to score. Brentford, although they haven't seemed to really be affected yet by Ivan Tony's injury. Um, But then if you're looking at the teams that Brentford have played recently, so um, they beat Bournemouth 2-0 at home. They beat, I suppose they beat Liverpool 3-1 at home. And the game before that was the one where uh, Tony was injured with a 2-0 win away at West Ham. I think an away game, Ellen Road... I think Leeds, I think you're right, Leeds need to be up for it. I'm I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to Leeds in that, so we can both be losers together if uh, there's any other result there. Um, but no, Football's I, the winner. Football is always the winner. Um, okay, so that is an interesting selection of results we've gone for there. I think we've got some really good games as well, looking, um, Looking also at Southampton Villa, the Danny Ings derby, which will be interesting. Uh, can yes. Newcastle going to, on the Saturday night fixture, going to Selhurst Park is never an easy place, but it's, I don't know. Vieira's men haven't been on it massively, and obviously they've had a midweek game. You'd expect a Newcastle win there, but you never know. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what happens down at Craven Cottage. Because Fulham are on it and Tottenham seems to be a lot of doom and gloom in that club at the moment. So I'll be interested you know to what? see how things unfold in that fixture. I would also, and I'm probably going to be very hilariously wrong at this, but I'm looking at that City-Wolves game as well. Mm. City have not been on it. They Harlan's haven't been on it. But, yeah, you know what? It's just as like a, as a dark horse result of the weekend. Yeah, well, Wolves have been really showing a real like run of form as well. They beat West Ham one nil, drew one all with Villa. Yeah, they've been really good. They lost one nil to Man U. Um, yeah, I think I think they've got everything in it if they could <laughs> to be able to beat Man City there. I, I'm, I'm just I'm just basing it on purely the fact that no, we I... we struggled so much in in two games over you know two FA Cup games to try and beat them. But then that's the thing. They have had a midweek fixture and if any team is very good at just tiring you out and wearing you down, um, yep. it doesn't. the goals it, it don't took, necessarily need to yeah. come from Haaland, but that is kind of Man City style. Yeah. It, it took a Jarvo prank for us to turn our form around. Yeah. So, well, we'll wait and see. But uh, some good fixtures. Um, okay. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself from next week. We will be back on to a regular recording schedule. Um, So hopping into your podcast platform of choice every single week with all the big um, other 14 news results and transfers and well, We've still got a week and a bit left of the transfer window, Tom, so we're going to have a lot of transfers to talk about, I'm sure, at some point. Um, And next week, I believe uh, we're going to be looking at, kind of now we're at the halfway point of the Premier League, we're going to be looking at what teams 
have really excited us, what individual players have really excited us and who we think are really doing the best jobs in the Premier League so far. So with that, Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast. Goodbye.